Hi everyone, Lockie Mansell here with another episode of Checkered Flag Chat and this week we're doing something a bit different and focusing on a motorsport category. The Australian Formula Ford Championship has been in existence for more than half a century and it's still going strong. So, I thought it would be a good idea to look at its history, its advantages and disadvantages and investigate why it has such an amazing record for breeding future stars of the sport. To help me break it all down, I brought in someone who knows all the ins and outs of Formula Ford, Cameron Hill, who not only won the national title in 2015, but continues to run cars in the series through his CHE racing team. So, here we go. Formula Ford comes under the microscope on our Checkered Flag Chat Category Critique. Let's go right back to 1967 when over in the UK at the Brands Hatch racetrack, a couple of people, the, the motorsport school entrepreneur Jeff Clark and also the development director at Brands Hatch, John Webb, that's not Jonathan Webb, that's John Webb, decided to plonk a 1.6 litre Ford Escort engine into an open wheel chassis. And uh, back then, I don't think those guys really probably realised just how popular that was going to become as a junior development category. Three years later, it came to Australia. And uh, the interesting thing, Cameron, is that when you look at it, the Australian Formula Ford Championship, which is now into its 51st season, it's actually the second longest running category in Australia, second only behind the Australian Touring Car Championship. Wow, there you go. I didn't know that. Isn't that amazing that um, this category has been around for that long and it, it's, um, it certainly still is so valuable for uh, aspiring racing drivers? Not only that, but like you look at the Australian Touring Car Championship and it's gone through its various guises. You know, it started off with Appendix J and then it moved into improved production and then into Group C and Group A yeah. in the 1980s and then into V8 Touring Cars, which then became V8 Supercars in its various iterations. And you've had quite distinct, I suppose, eras in terms of the technical regulations for the, the Touring Car Championship and the types of cars that have raced. Whereas with Formula Ford, okay, there's been some updates and, yes, the, the chassis have evolved, but the basic formula of having a four-cylinder Ford engine in a lightweight, open-wheel chassis with no aerodynamics, it's been the same for the whole time. Yeah, it really is sort of the basics of, you know, what makes up a great race car, you know. You you put low, low power, uh, low grip, the cars move around, and you really got to, um, you know, hustle the cars to, to get the most out of them. They're really um, quite fun to drive, so... Like you say, uh, they've definitely, definitely evolved um, with the times. But yeah, it, it is still cool to you know be able to get your hands on something that you know at the end of the day is you know really really simple and and raw. You go back to the very early days of Formula Ford back in the the nineteen seventies when the category was really just starting off, and you, you look at the the different chassis manufacturers back then. So you've got Brands like Elfin and um, and Lola, which are of course quite well known open wheel brands. Elfin was actually mm. an Australian manufactured chassis. 
uh, Moore as well, which David Moore, the, the father of Barton Moore, he was building Formula Ford chassis as well and won a couple of national titles with Paul Berners-Sconi and Russell Norden. Um, and then, you know, things like Raynards and, and Galloway's as well. And sort of, I suppose it reflects, I don't want to use the, the term backyard mechanic because that probably doesn't really do them justice. But back in that era, there were lots of homemade race cars, for want of a better word, where you would get enthusiastic mechanics who would literally build their own race car chassis in their backyard. I think that, and that's the great thing about the formula um, that is for a long time, all you really needed was um, a, a really good understanding of, you know, how a race car goes bolts together. And if you were talented enough and, you know, could weld some tu- tubes together, you, you could go and build your own race car, which is, um, I guess, what motorsport used to all be about. You know, you, you you get a couple of guys together and, you know, who have got some good ideas and some bad ideas and, and hopefully by the end you've, you know, got something that uh, is going to go really fast around a racetrack. But, yeah, it's sort of what Formula Ford's been built on for a long time. A lot of those cars still get around in various historic Formula Ford categories. Do you ever get the chance, Cameron, in your travels to uh, attend or look at any of those historic Formula Fords at some of the historic race meetings? Uh, I haven't been to um, one of the big historic race meetings that um, normally gets held, I think, down at Phillip Island. They have a pretty big one every year, and um, it's pretty cool that, you know, they get massive fields. They get up to sometimes 40, 50 cars, and, um, yeah, they there's all these, you know, cars with such great history that, that go out there and race. So uh, you see a few of them around the traps, at, you know, at some state-level events, and, and even sometimes with the National Series, you know, we see some older – can cars come round, but um, no, I, I haven't been exposed to as much of them. So as the category evolved, so mid to late 80s, we saw that Van Diemen started to become the predominant chassis. Mm-hmm. In fact, every national championship from 1987 through until 1997 was won by Van Diemen. But uh, while all that was going on, there was a very, very clever Australian engineer by the name of Mike Borland, who was working away on his own Formula Ford chassis concept, which was the Spectrum. And uh, Mike's hard work and perseverance was rewarded in 1998 when Adam Macro took the first national Formula Ford victory for the Spectrum chassis. And uh, we've seen that since then, Mike has been quite well regarded, not just for the the chassis that he's produced that have had success here in Australia, but he's also exported some of those cars and we've seen them have success overseas uh, over in the UK at the the British Formula Ford Festival and also in the US in its various open wheel series as well. So I think the thing here, Cameron, is Formula Ford, yes, it's recognised as a breeding ground for drivers, but it's also been a breeding ground for engineering talent as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and what Mike's achieved in in Formula Ford racing is pretty impressive. To to go up against some chassis manufacturers that um, you know were extremely well established and had you know years and years of success um, for him here in Australia to to go and build a, a chassis that was um, just as competitive and and capable of winning championships and races is. 
is so cool. And, um, it, you know, it really shows that um, yeah, talent can be found yeah, just about anywhere. So Spectrum Shazzy has had a number of championship victories. Van Damon, despite the fact that it was so dominant through the late 80s into the 90s and then the early 2000s, it sort of faded away after that. In fact, the last Van Damon to win the national championship was 2005 in the hands of Daniel Elliott. And since then, the two predominant chassis manufacturers in the Australian series have been the Spectrum, like I mentioned, but uh, more recently, the French-built Miguel chassis, which has won every national title from 2011 up until 2019. So the French-built Miguel chassis has definitely uh, been the, the pick of the bunch in recent times. And I know that you're probably well-versed to speak about the benefits of the Miguel chassis, Cameron, because it's the chassis that you drove to your title in 2015. Yeah, um, obviously, since they they switched over to the Duratec, uh, the Miguel and the Spectrum definitely seem to be um, the, the the main choices for for going racing here in Formula Ford in Australia. Miguel chassis, you know, the reason we we bought a Miguel when I got into Formula Ford racing is because yeah, we just sort of looked at the the results from the previous couple of seasons, and you know that's the reason we 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 got a Miguel and. Um, they're very well built package, very, very well engineered and, um, certainly extremely fast, but I, I think, um, the spectrum is probably of just a greater quality and, you know, sometimes, you know, you sort of got to look at who the main teams are and, you know, for a while there was obviously Minder and Sonic, um, who were sort of dominating formula Ford and, and they were using Miguel's. So. Normally, the best teams get the best drivers, and so you know maybe we're we're yet to see a Spectrum win the championship again sh- uh, shortly in the hands of um, you know another talented youngster. So you definitely can't go wrong with either car. You touched on the engines there and the Duratec engine. So the the previous engine, which was the Kent engine, which was the one point six liter carburetted Ford motor that powered a range of Ford road cars, including the Escorts and the Cortinas back in the 1970s. It did service in Formula 4 right up until the end of 2005, and it was only then that the category decided to move to the fuel-injected Duratec motor out of the Ford Fiesta road car that was running around at that stage, and uh, up until this day, the Duratec motor is still the item that powers all Formula Fords. In your experience of driving and working on the Formula Fords, what do you think of the, the Duratec engine, Cameron? I know that one of the benefits is that it is a control item, so all of the engines do come from the same supplier. Well, I think um, you, you've just touched on it there. I think it's brilliant that, um, you know, it, it sort of leveled the playing field in terms of um, engine performance. Everyone's going to have pretty much the same thing. And, and the great thing is, for the most part, if you look after the engines, they're pretty bulletproof. You know, we we haven't had any dramas touch wood in it in our team, and you know, barring you forgetting to put oil in the car or you know doing a massive over rev, um, they they just seem to go and go, which is um really fantastic for any sort of racing category. I know that uh, you would never have over revved the engine in your Formula Ford Cameron, and I know that with your dad's meticulous preparation, you would have had the exactly correct oil level in your car at all times as well so uh, no doubt you wouldn't have had any such dramas 
Um, uh, we all we all make mistakes. I think there was a few in the beginning, but um, once you work out the difference between first and third when you're trying to up change, uh, you're normally pretty good. Uh, yeah, because it is a four-speed manual gearbox as well, isn't it? So how do yep. you find the, the gearbox in those cars? Uh, if you've got the gearbox, you know, set up quite well, um, they're a beautiful gearbox to to drive. Um, and you know, the great thing is it it really does teaches you the fundamentals of a racing gearbox, you know, the, it's a dog box and you can shift without the clutch. Um, but if you are shifting without the clutch, it, it requires the correct technique, but also you're going to learn how to heel and toe, but you can also left foot brake. So it, it really is going to set you up for, for the next step in your motorsport career. You're going to have a, a really good understanding of, um, of how a gearbox works. And, and not only, I think it, it, it helped that I was a bit more hands-on and, and always saw dad pulling the gearbox apart and saw what was going on inside it. So it gives you a bit more of a respect for if you do miss a gear, what, what you're actually doing. And then, you know, just little things like, you know, now that I'm in my uh, Carrera Cup car and there was one time I think I, I'd spun out and I was stuck in second gear, but, you know, I sort of knew that I had to just get the the gears spinning a little bit to, you know, be able to grab another gear down. And, and that's all just from experience, you know, using a, a manual gearbox like that in Formula Ford. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Cam, but I think that you can actually change the gear ratios too, can't you, mm. in a Formula Ford gearbox? So you would have to be one of the few categories around these days where you can actually play around with different gear ratios. I think that's a really cool thing about the category. I mean, it's certainly something that dad and I really explored when we were racing was, you know, how can we get the absolute most out of the, the, the gears that you've got at your disposal? And obviously you've only got four of them. So at a track like uh, Phillip Island, it was really important to make sure you're accelerating as hard as you could um, everywhere. So, you know, it does teach you the importance of, you know, gear ratios and, um, you know, obviously being able to select what gears you you need to be in and where and, you know, or should you go one gear taller in second and then maybe instead of, um, you know, being a bit boggy in third, you can use second then. So there's so much that you learn from that. But like you say, it's it's probably becoming more and more a lost art and only an engineer needs to know because once you're in a lot of other categories, uh, the gear ratios are locked or set or, you know, if it's supercars, they change the, the drop gear. So um, it's it's a bit of a shame because I really enjoyed the challenge of going through my data and then trying a different gear ratio and going, oh, yeah, it's half a tenth quicker or something. So, but, yeah, it's it's probably one of the only categories left that you, where you have to do that. Let's talk about some of the stats for the, the National Formula Ford Championship. So, as mentioned, 2020 was supposed to be the 51st Australian Formula Ford season so we've had 50 seasons so far uh how many different national champions do you think there have been in the 50 seasons of formula ford cameron uh you're testing me and i should know this uh because i'm pretty sure you probably sent it to me but um i'll, I'll be honest i got no idea 50 50 years we've had i'm gonna say well, surely you, if you win it, you can't come back. So we would have we would have had fifty champions, wouldn't we? Correct. Yep, <laughs> that's exactly right. So that's always been one of the rules of Formula Ford is that once you win the championship, you're not allowed to defend your title. You're not allowed to come back into the category. So 
everyone who has won the championship has subsequently had to move on, which means that, yes, we've had 50 different champions. Uh, 178 different race winners, and I've got a spreadsheet here, Cameron, where I've got every different race winner uh, listed out since the season first began. The most where, successful... Where do you find those stats, mate? Where do you get Where'd you go? <laughs> um, lots of trawling through <laughs> internet archives and, yep. and that soft race results. Um, then that soft doesn't go back that far though, does it? It, it doesn't. No. So <laughs> I was, I was very fortunate that I was able to access some of the old records from some previous people who were involved in the management of the category. But um, yeah, I, I, wanted to channel my inner Aaron Noonan. So yep. went back through and did all of the number crunching. The most successful driver in terms of race victories in Formula Ford is Nick Perkett, who chalked up 22 race wins. I've got a list here. I've got all of the uh, the most successful drivers. Where do you think you slot in on that list, Cameron? Uh, I'd hope that I, I place quite highly. Uh, what do you think? Uh, well, you did, because uh, you are eighth on the list with 12 race victories, all of which you achieved in your title-winning year of 2015. So Ooh, so how many, what's the most wins in a season? Most wins in a season is Chaz Mostert. So he got 14 wins in a season in 2010, oh. which was the year that he won the championship. And uh, Hunter McElroy won 13 races in 2018 as well. Ah, there you go. So I think you're third on the list in terms of most wins in a season. Oh, I thought um, I could get on top somewhere, but obviously not. <laughs> but still, I mean, out of out of fifty years to be out of you know all of the drivers who've won races over the years for you to be inside the top ten is a pretty impressive achievement. And there are some pretty big names below you on the list as well. Jamie Wincup eight race wins, so. I'll tell you what, Jamie Wincup's at the, the top of a lot of stats in terms of Australian mm. motorsport, but you can, there you go, there's, uh, there's a bit of a claims of fame. You're ahead of your Ford winners list. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, and uh, also, Garth and Leantander have each won the same number of races. They're both oh. on at seven race victories. We'll have to get Leanne to come back and get one more then. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, of course, they're both national champions as well. So, uh, yeah, anyway, some big names on the list. Nick Kirk <laughs> at 22 wins. Stephen Richards and Ashley Walsh, each with 17. Steve Owen, 16. Chas Mostert and Jack LeBrock. And Hunter McElroy, all on 15. Yourself with 12. And then Will Davison, John Martin and Anton DeVasquale, all with 10 race victories in National Formula Ford. One of the things that we, we always talk about with Formula Ford is the success rate for drivers who've come out of the category and who've moved on to bigger and better things. So when you look at the current Supercars Championship grid, there are six drivers in the field who are former Formula Ford champions. It was actually seven at the start of the year before, unfortunately, we lost Will Davison from the field. But... Even you go through the rest of the grid and even the drivers who haven't necessarily won the Formula Ford Championship, a lot of them did spend time in Formula Ford before progressing to supercars. And not only that, the other interesting stat that I came across in my travels 
is that uh, before last year's Bathurst 1000, where Scott McLaughlin and Alex Premer took victory, you had to go all the way back to 2005 with Mark Scaife and Todd Kelly before you could find a car that didn't have at least one national Formula Ford champion on board. Wow. That's pretty uh, impressive stats, isn't it? So, again, just goes to show the value of Formula Ford as a junior development category and reinforces, I suppose, its pedigree, its uh, its Mm. reputation for being a breeding ground for young drivers. So out of those Bathurst 1000 winning combinations, obviously quite a few of those entries had two national Formula Ford champions on board as well. And you look at Louds and Winkup, you look at Tandra Davison, you look at Reynolds and Yulden, um, and Louds Mm. and Richards as well. Um, you know, I think what all, you're trying to say is, mate, it's no coincidence, is it? <laughs> it's pretty much what I'm getting at. So I suppose the big question here, Cameron, is why? Why has Formula Ford been such a valuable breeding ground and stepping stone for future stars of the sport to progress from go-karts to car racing? That's the, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? I think it's the cars. Honestly, the, the cars are fantastic to drive they are so raw and you have to have such a great understanding of mechanical grip and and the chassis dynamics and and what's going on underneath you and and if you can master that pretty much any car you jump in after a formula ford is it's going to be easy because you know you you've already got that foundation of you know i i know i know how where the tire tire limit of grip is I, I know how you know the weight transfer is going to affect the balance of the car and 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 to be honest you know I think it's just it's the best place to sort of learn you know it, it, there's a lot of cars you know that um, have you know aero uh, you know with wings or downforce that you know are going to mask some of that mechanical grip and then it sort of just becomes about who's the bravest or the silliest and then there's other cars like you know even some production cars with you know abs braking systems and stuff that you know don't really give you a true a true feel for what for what you're doing with your feet so i just do think they are the the best sort of car to learn in unfortunately it's not always been smooth sailing for formula ford though because if you cast your mind back to 2015 when CADS conducted their strategic review of the Australian motorsport landscape, they tried to get rid of Formula Ford as a national category and uh, effectively replace it with the category that they were promoting at the time, which was F4. And if you think back to that period, there was a massive backlash from a lot of team owners and competitors. So even though CADS tried to demote Formula Ford back to being just a state-level category. So strong was the support from the competitors, the team owners, and the Formula Ford Association that they were able to continue to run it as a national series by running events and a combination of state events, um, some AMRS rounds, and even some supercars rounds, and just running their own point score. Yeah, it was it was a, such a shame, I think, for for motorsport, here in Australia as a whole that we, we had this sort of split, which, you know, probably pulled away from both categories at the end of the day. 
I don't think it was, you know, handled all that well. And there was a lot of people sort of pointing the finger at each other, sort of saying, no, this is your fault. So it was, yeah, it was a shame. But, I mean, the great thing about, you know, Formula Ford is it's um it's been able to wear that storm and um, it's still strong and, and, and still, still alive, which is un- unbelievable. Well, Formula Ford got to have the last laugh in the end because F4 is dead now as a, as a motorsport category where, as you say, Formula Ford is still alive and kicking. So for people who might be interested in getting involved in Formula Ford, and obviously it is a category targeted at junior drivers who are making the progression from go-karts to car racing, let's just talk about some of the costs that are involved. And you're well-placed to comment on this because even since you personally have moved on from Formula Ford, mm. your CHE racing team is still very, very uh, heavily involved in running cars for customers. We've seen that you've run cars for Lachlan Maneef and Tom Sargent, who've both been round winners in the Australian Formula Ford Championship over the last couple of years, and you've got young Noah Sands coming on board for this season. So give us some ballpark park figures how much does it cost to do a test day do a race weekend do a season in the state or the national series uh yeah that's a good question Lachlan it's it's a great sort of category because I mean you you can still do it as a privateer you know and that's how we got into it dad and I um and that's how you know I got my leg up in motorsport is um you know doing it ourselves and you can do it really quite economically you know apart from you know you've got to buy the car you know and so if you want a really good sort of secondhand Duratec car you know you're probably looking at something you know between 40,000 and 60,000 now that may seem like a, a big sort of price difference but um you know sometimes you know you're going to buy a car and you know it might need a fair bit of work done you know it might just need um some components refreshed or, you know, the body work is all a bit sad. So, you know, just expect that if you're buying a secondhand car that it might need some work um, to get it up to a, you know, a race winning standard. And, um, you know, once you've got the car and, you know, the, the, the engines are pretty good, you can probably do, you know, two, two seasons, even, even three seasons on an engine if you're not testing all that much. The gearboxes, you know, now that's probably where the, the, there's going to be some expense, you know. You've got to make sure that, you know, you're not letting the gearbox get too old and, and um, have, risk having parts fail. So you know, if you're running the car yourself, you know, to go do a test day, it, it's no more than, you know, your, your oil, um, your fuel, you know, maybe a dog ring and the, the the transport to get it there you know you can probably go do a test day for you know about a grand if you were running the car yourself now i will say this about the formula fords is um as as simple as they are there's they're probably actually quite maintenance intensive you know there's a, a lot of things on them that you need to be on top of and you know it, there's a lot of one percenters you know if you if you really go the distance you know you can you can you know put a really good car together and um, and that's really the key to to having success in the category is a really well prepared car and then obviously a well prepared driver. So for for a test day with a race team, you know you're probably looking at something like four grand 
you know, and that's including obviously the prep that the team's done, the transport, the the um, resources that they're going to have. Obviously, they're going to have a lot of spare parts and components, and and then obviously the intellectual property that that you're getting access to, which is which is such a big thing in motorsport. You know, it's to do it on your own as a privateer um, is obviously much more economical, um, but it's a long and a steep learning curve. You know, and I was quite lucky that you know I had my dad Colin Hill and he was very switched on um, mechanically and, and and together we got our head around um, you know what was a complicated car I'm glad you raised that point with the intellectual property because it's all well and good to say that yes if you're a kid out of go-karts you and your dad can go and run this thing yourself but while you might be able to run it if you don't have the technical expertise to nail the setup and like you say, there is a, a fair bit to, to learn and understand when it comes to setting up these cars to maximise their performance. You're not necessarily going to be competitive. And when you look at the results for Formula Ford over the last decade, it's generally been the teams that have got people with a decent amount of technical expertise that have been successful. And you look at, you know, that the last four titles have all been won by drivers from the Sonic Motor Racing Stable with Mick Ritter and his accomplished team of engineers and mechanics. Uh, yourself, you're actually the last non-Sonic drivers to win the title. And then if you go back before that, other people who had, um, you know, very, very well-credentialed and experienced engineers like Mike Borland or, or Justin Cotter working on their cars. So, is it realistic to be competitive unless you actually hook up with a team that has experience in the category? I think it's difficult. You know, you have to sort of, you, you need someone that's that's switched on and is going to be able to obviously unlock the, the speed that's in the cars. But but not only that, it's it's an attention to detail and it's it's just knowing knowing what to look for in the cars. You know, it's when when to service things and and how you know some some parts in the car you know you can't just go and buy off a shelf and and so you know we'll we'll fabricate our own stuff in-house and i guess it's just you know there's a lot of things that when it when a car comes to us at che dad looks at and just goes no way like um i, I wouldn't i wouldn't race the car with it with it prepared like that so you know a lot of hours goes into you know, just the, the detail stuff. And, and you know, when you get to the racetrack that the car's not going to let you down, you know, it's in the best condition it can be in. Um, you know, you're not going to have any sort of mechanical failures. Cause I mean, and that's what a championship comes down to is having a, a fast, reliable car. And then on, on top of all that, yeah, you, you need to know the, the intricate details of, um, you know, the car setup and, and then how to drive the car. You can have the best setup car on the grid, but you know, if, if you're not, wringing the car's neck and, and taking it to uh, an inch of, you know, the edge of the track, then you, you aren't, you aren't going to win a formula four championship. So it's, um, yeah, it's, you have to really have the, the complete package to have success and it's not impossible. You, you can, you can do it as a privateer, but you know, it, it was, it was tough. You know, we definitely learned quite a lot in our first year and um, you know, thankfully what, you know, once we got to our second year, we, we sort of took the time to build the car up again from the ground up and, and do everything the way we wanted to, and, and that's what led to our success. So realistically then, if you want to run a full campaign in the National Series, what sort of budget are you looking at in total? 
to do the national series, you know, properly um, with a team like us, I, mean, I can't speak for other teams, um, but you probably, and look, this is based on a seven round national championship. Obviously times are different at the moment. We don't know how many events we're going to get in this year and, and that all makes a difference, but you know, you're probably looking at something from, you know, the, the 110 to 130 K range in terms of your budget. And that's, you know, with all the bells and whistles, making sure, you know, you've always got fresh, fresh um, consumables and, and gear in the car and with a testing program as well. But you can also go and do the national series on, on probably like 40,000 if you ran the car yourself. So there is a big disparity there. Um, but, but also, it's um you know as we know in motorsport there is a difference between obviously doing it cheaply and um doing it properly so all right let's talk about some of the pros and cons of formula form we like to have a balanced approach here on checkered flag chat so we talk about both the advantages and disadvantages so that people can make an informed decision on whether or not formula form is the right category for them so in terms of the benefits, you've already touched on it. It's an excellent driver development category. It's a driver formula Ford Fast. You really do know how to handle a car that doesn't have any aero. And you also need to learn and understand how different adjustments to things like the shock absorbers and ride height are going to affect the handling balance. One of the things that we haven't talked too much about yet is the data side of things. And I know that Formula Fords are equipped with data logging systems. So there's that aspect that drivers are going to learn from Formula Ford as well. Yeah, definitely. And say what you like about data logging, it is important to a young driver's development. You know, I mean, we can sit on the sidelines all day and, and make comments, but, you know, when you break down the data, you can't hide in the data, you know, and I've said plenty of times, I'm like, you know, the driver comes in and says, oh, the car's understeering. And I'm like, well, that's probably because, you know, you're at like 50% throttle in the middle of the corner. That's not going to help. So um, it's um, it's really good to sort of, um, you know, iron out your technique and, you know, really hone in on on those sort of marginal gains on and where, where you can improve as a driver. And, you know, that's a, that's a really important thing that you, you need to learn um, if you're going to sort of go anywhere in motorsport, you know, data is such an important part of it because you know it is really really close at the top levels of motorsport and we're looking for the, just the tiniest of advantages and um you know sometimes you know a data engineer will say yeah mate you need to break three meters deeper and you just go that's that's ridiculous but that's what it comes down to sometimes you look at the margins and you go gee half a tenth to pole i wish i broke three meters later one of the other benefits of Formula Ford is that the races themselves tend to be absolutely fantastic. And I, I know, speaking from personal experience as a commentator, that some of the very best races that I've called have been Formula Ford races. I remember going back a few years ago now, there was one race at Wakefield Park where we had a massive freight train of about 10 cars that were battling for the lead for the entire race and swapping positions on every corner. In fact, I think you might have even been in the commentary box with me from that one, Cameron. It was yeah, I didn't, I, didn't get, I didn't get any words in. You were, you wouldn't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it 
Yeah, that'd be right. I think it was Brian Vandenwacker and myself, yeah. and I think we, we brought you in with the uh, the intention of getting you to provide expert comments, but there was so much going on that you didn't really get a chance. And uh, I think Hunter McElroy ended up winning that race from the back of the grid, but the point is that the races are often very entertaining for spectators, and because you do have so many cars in such close proximity, but they are open wheel race cars where you're not really able to have too much bumping and grinding and contact without knocking corners off the cars. It does teach the drivers, doesn't it, how to drive in close combat without making contact. Yeah, it does. It, it, it certainly teaches you respect. Um, although sometimes I do watch some Formula Ford races and just go, how they haven't come together is beyond me because um, they always seem to be millimetres away at, at, at seriously high speeds. But that's the great thing about Formula Ford racing. I mean, not only are they a real driver's car and, and so enjoyable to drive, but the racing's just, it's some of the best racing out there, honestly. You know, if you want to see good racing, you, you just go to, you know, your state round and watch some Formula Fords go, um, you know, side by side through turn one at Eastern Creek. You just go, oh, these guys are crazy, but... Yeah, I guess the other advantage of the cars is obviously no downforce, so no aero wash, you know, which is a, a, another discussion. We should do a, a podcast on aero, like one, um, <laughs> aero parody. And um, the other thing is they, they punch a big hole in the air, so you get this massive draft. And, and, and at some tracks, it's actually not always the fastest that guy that wins, it's the smartest. And um, I don't know, maybe I... I just enjoyed watching a lot of Daytona and Talladega races because I, I feel like it's a little bit like that sometimes. And so the, the final advantage of Formula Ford is, as we've already sort of touched on as well, the excellent graduation rate for the series participants. So aside from the people who've moved up to the supercars, you've also got people like Thomas Randall and Will Brown who are not in the main game yet, but they're certainly knocking on the door. Uh, yourself, obviously, you've had some really strong results in Toyota 86 Series and in Carrera Cup since you've moved on from Formula Ford. We've got other graduates from recent times like Jaden O'Jada, um, Hamish Riberts, and, of course, Hunter McElray, who's gone over to the US and is going really well over there. And I think that's the other thing as well. You learn your craft in Formula Ford. It can create opportunities not just here in Australia, but overseas as well. Australia's two most recent Formula One drivers, Daniel Ricciardo and Mark Webber, both spent time in Australian Formula Ford. And uh, Will Power, the IndyCar champion and Indy 500 winner, he graduated from the Australian Formula Ford championship as well. So coming out of Formula Ford, just because of those, those fundamental aspects of car control and driving technique that you can master within Formula Ford. I'm sure you would agree, Cameron, that that is going to set you up for pretty much any category that you want to race in. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think I, I touched on it before, but, you know, if you if you can have success in, in a Formula Ford, it, it, it normally means you're going to be able to adapt to, to whatever that next step is. Um, and, you know, you've mentioned some names there of, of guys who were, you know, quite strong in obviously the Formula Ford racing and, and now are making a name for themselves here in Australia and, and overseas. So, um, and if you, if you just keep going back through the list of guys who have won the Australian Formula Ford Championship and even, you know, the guys who maybe just missed out or came second or third, but they're normally 
a lot of them have gone on to have success in Australian motorsports. So it's um, it's certainly no coincidence that um, it's the breeding ground for some great talent. All right. So that's the positives of Formula Ford covered off. Let's talk about some of the drawbacks. Mm. Um, unfortunately, since probably 2016, when, as I mentioned, CABS conducted their strategic review and they decided that Formula Ford was no longer going to be a national category, since then, we've seen the championship running a lot of events in conjunction with state rounds that don't necessarily have the exposure mm. of the high-level national events or categories that run on the supercars support program. And so that means that if you're a young driver, and let's face it, learning how to drive a race car is one thing, but learning how to promote yourself off the track and having the platform to be able to generate value benefits for commercial partners formula Ford, you would have to say now is not as strong in that regard as other national categories such as the toyota 86 series what do you reckon yeah look i agree that um obviously with the formula ford championship now running at some you know smaller events um yeah you're not going to get as much publicity you know you're maybe not in front of the people that you want to be racing against, oh, sorry, sorry, racing for in the future. And um, so look, definitely, yeah, the, there isn't that element at the moment, which is, um, you know, a bit of a shame, but, you know, I will say this, um, there's a lot of people sort of diving into some other categories at the moment because there's a lot of glitz and glamour and, you know, they're, they're selling them the dream, but, if you if you're thinking you're going to go straight out of a go kart and into a a supercar, and and you know get it straight away, you, you just won't. I mean, even myself, having raced Formula Ford and eighty sixes, you know, over four four seasons, man, it was a baptism by fire. Once I got into a Porsche Carrera Cup car, and um, you know, so you still need that grounding as a race car driver, you know, and obviously. It's, it's a category meant for young drivers. And if you get in when you're young at 14, 15, 16, and, and you do, you know, your apprenticeship in Formula Ford, there's still plenty of time to get into those next sort of categories where, you, you know, then you, you can put your name up in lights and, and get noticed and, and learn how to build a, a network of people behind you. Um, so, yes, Formula Ford, you know, maybe doesn't offer the best um, place to sort of, you know, broaden your... Um, I guess, reputation at the moment, but don't think that it, you know, it doesn't go unnoticed. You know, if, if people see that, you know, you've been a, a Formula 4 champion, that they actually go, oh, okay, so you can drive. But, yeah, you know, you, you do have to go out there and, and, and build it for yourself. No, one, no one's going to do it for you. You know, I think a, a good example of that is you look at the Super 2 slash Super 3 races at Sydney Motorsport Park on the weekend, Look at some of the others who have had experience in Formula 4, like Will Brown, for example, and Thomas Randall, and uh, Jaden Ojeda, who did an extremely good job at, at Sydney Motorsport Park on the weekend and finished on the podium. And even Angelo Mazuris, who stepped straight out of Formula 4 into the Super 2 series mm. and, and already running around in the top five, I still reckon that by missing that Formula 4 step, you probably miss out on some of that ability to give technical feedback and also just some of the 
the race craft, I suppose, habits that you, you learn from being in Formula Ford for a year or two? Yeah. You know, obviously, I'm not going to comment on, on any of the, the drivers there because I think, obviously, to get to that point, you, you'd be running at the front in, in Super 2. You're obviously quite talented, but I do think it, it makes it harder if you haven't done that, that Formula Ford step. I always look at it, and I've been told many times, um, I got told one time by Mark Larkham, you know, just to never skip steps, you know. Do do your time, build yourself up, you know. Don't rush to get to the top level because if you rush there and then all of a sudden, you know, don't go as well as you you hoped or, you know, you make mistakes, it, it could very quickly, you know, turn your career quite sour and all of a sudden you lose all your momentum, whereas if you... You know, every you know, each step of the way, if you can have success, it just means by the time you get to the top, you're going to be more well-rounded and polished. So, a couple of other drawbacks that I, I want to cover off here. So, as mentioned, because a lot of the national Formula Ford rounds are run in conjunction with state events, you can often get very large fields at those events, and there's still a class for the cars that are powered by the older Kent engines which can sometimes include some historic cars which are driven by older recreational racers who are out there for fun rather than necessarily serious competition. And what that means is that sometimes you can get a really, really big speed disparity between the fast Duratec cars and the slower Kent cars. And in some respects, maybe that can be a good thing for young drivers to learn how to deal with slower traffic. But we've also seen some nasty incidents. And I know that... One of your drivers, Tom Sargent, was involved in a very, very nasty crash at Sandown last year where he got tangled up with a slower car in qualifying. Yeah, it's, um, I guess, another one of the pros and cons of, you know, running at the state-level events. You know, the guys in the older Kent, Kent cars and, and historic cars have every right to be there. They're racing in their state championship event, which is um, really fantastic. But then obviously at the other end of the field, we've got guys who are, you know, they're racing for their careers out there and they're pushing seriously hard. And you really hate for it when, you know, a race gets decided by lap traffic or something happens and it's a real shame. Um, yes, I guess there is a skill to, to dealing with cars, slower cars and reading traffic. But, you know, you, you at the end of the day, you, you know, having a big speed difference, yeah, it, it is dangerous and, you know, what happened to Tom at Sandown uh, last year was, um, you know, it was just the worst um, case of wrong place, wrong time. And obviously got caught out unsighted with a, a slower car at the fastest part of the track and yeah, a big accident. And, you know, it was quite scary that, um, you know, Tom, Tom could have been really hurt in that. And it was really good to sort of see him walk away with it, you know, a bit of a concussion, but he's, um, he's all good again now. But it's um it is something that I've raised with you know Formula Ford um and yeah I mean fingers crossed that we don't run into issues like that in the future. And that leads me on to the probably the final drawback that I want to talk about, which is just the the management structure of National Formula Ford, and you'd have to say that it's less commercially orientated than some other national categories because it's an incorporated association which comprises of a committee of volunteers. And what that means is that decisions on aspects of the category, such as series calendars and 
changes to the technical regulations, they can take time to go through the due process of being approved by the committee. And, and one of the things that probably concerns me a bit is that it, it does seem, and I'm not privy necessarily to, to some of the discussions that have taken place at committee level, and I'm certainly not going to name or criticise any individuals because that wouldn't be the fair or the correct things to do, but I do worry that sometimes it feels like there's not a lot of strategic planning around the commercial direction or the future, like the long-term plans for the category. As somebody who's still involved in running cars in the category, what are your thoughts on that side of things? I guess first I'd just like to you know, point out that you know they are all volunteer staff and and the fact that you know they they picked up the category when cams sort of hung them out to dry and and have kept it going through this period you know is obviously fantastic and it it means that we still have formula ford racing to to watch and 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 obviously foster some young talent but it it does feel like um you know we might be getting left behind a little bit especially with the introduction of a lot of new categories and with motorsport being such a highly contested and, and volatile sort of marketplace, you know, it probably, you know, Formula Four could probably do really well out of, you know, having a, a category management like, um, you know, the, the new TA, the Trans Am category have. And, you know, if they really pushed it and, and promoted it, it could probably even go from strength to strength. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm hoping in the in the next the coming years that they the former Ford Association realizes that there's probably a lot of potential there for for some serious growth, especially with um you know obviously F four falling over again, it you know sort of now's the time to to really push and 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 make this happen, and um, we we'll just have to see if um they're up to the task. Let me ask you this then, Cameron. Hypothetically, if you could make any changes or improvements to Formula Ford as a category, what would you do? I think I would. Um, I'd firstly put a bit more of a focus back on you know getting a couple of supercar rounds or some just some more big ticket events. You know, I know that was a big thing for the guys in my team, and the fact that we got to race at Tail and Bend in twenty eighteen and and. It, Winton in 2019, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's how it went. And I think they raced at Winton the year before as well. Um, that was such a big deal for, for my young guys, you know, to, to get to race in, in front of the supercar teams and, um, you know, getting their sponsors on Fox TV. Like, it, it was phenomenal, you know. And um, that one round alone was, you know, super valuable for, for them, you know, racing the whole C- series. So... I'm not saying we need all our rounds at supercar events. You know, it, it certainly is quite expensive and the commercial realities of it probably, you know, aren't right for Formula Four at the moment. But, you know, having, you know, one or two of those events is um, is probably a big draw card. And I think, you know, we really just need to have um, a big push and at, um, you know, getting getting more young drivers in, you know, maybe having putting a few commercial relationships in place with some some karting series or um, karting teams or, or something just to sort of remind everyone that Formula Ford's still um, still around and it's it's probably you know the best place to be to, to start your career would you change anything with cars they they've, they've made some changes over the last few years 
they've um you know they've upgraded the clutch and the flywheel to be lighter and um, more racy i guess and that's great they um they changed the tires to the yokohama from the avons and that was a you know a commercial deal and you know it makes sense for the formula ford championship to be on the yokohamas at the moment but but certainly it has seen that we've sort of moved the weak link in the gearboxes to just further along and, and we've seen you know more gearbox wear so i mean Maybe a, a more modern gearbox could be adapted, um, or maybe we just need to address the, you know, the the issues that we've we've got now from some of the changes that have been made over the past couple of seasons. So that's probably the only thing with the cars at the moment is just um, the gearboxes and the maintenance required, and you know that makes it especially hard for any privateers because um, let me tell you we we put a lot of hours into making sure that, you know, the, the gearboxes and diffs in our cars are up to scratch. And, and if you're a privateer and you don't have the resources or the ability, then it's going to be, it's going to be tough, you know, and you don't want to have a failure, which um, could cost you a, a race or, and significant amount of money. When you look at young drivers who are progressing from go-karts into car racing and you look at the types of categories that they're, that they're moving up to, Formula Ford is obviously one pathway, but we're seeing them take other options as well. The various state-level XL series has proven to be quite a popular stepping stone as well. So too has another national series, the Toyota 86 series. Now, I'm speaking to you as somebody who's had experience in both Formula Ford and the Toyota 86 series. Would it be fair to conclude that if you were to combine the cars and the driver development benefits of Formula Ford with the commercial benefits and the, the business nows of the Toyota 86 category management, that you would have an unbeatable junior development category? <laughs> yeah, I, I think you'd have a a pretty damn good product if you were somehow able to to weld those two together yeah the 86 series um is a fantastic series um you know it's very well run and obviously has the backing of the manufacturer toyota um it's a great sort of place to you know get seen and get noticed you know on the supercar calendar which is which is fantastic but you know if you if you're not a you know skilled and, and well-prepared driver, you're going to just sort of fall into the abyss there, you know, because there's some pretty big fields um, and it's very easy to, you know, qualify 15th and then have a terrible weekend. So, you know, the, the guys who have had success in Formula Ford uh, often end up at the front in, in that series too. We might talk about the Toyota A6 series in a bit more detail in another episode of the podcast, but I think that in conclusion, Cameron, Formula Ford remains a very, very good option for young drivers out of go-karts who are aiming to forge a, a professional career. And I mean, we've talked about the fact that Formula Ford might not have quite as much exposure as some of the other categories like the Toyota 86s, but in saying that, and we've seen that you've been able to achieve it, we've seen that your drivers like Lockie Maneef and Tom Sargent have been able to achieve it as well, if you're proactive with the way that you promote yourself, it's still possible to cover that exposure shortfall. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, and this is, I guess, where you have to be quite self-motivated to make it happen. You know, you, everything is what you make it. You know, if, if you get out there and 
and build your network and build your profile and, and promote yourself in in your area, there's there's no nothing saying that you know you can't build up your profile racing in Formula Ford. You could do it in in almost any category, but obviously the benefit of um, racing Formula Ford is that it's going to prepare you for that next step in in racing. And you know, I said I've said many times, like I I wish I'd um, I guess been able to go straight from a Formula Ford into a Porsche because you know I, I sort of felt like the driving style was probably much more similar than to that of a production car. So, um, but you know, my career. I, I had to sort of take that path and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with where I've ended up so far and hopefully I can continue making progress. Cameron Hill, thanks very much for your time on the podcast. It's been valuable getting your insights into the National Formula Ford series. Mate, thank you very much for having me. There's no doubt Formula Ford has stood the test of time as a junior development class. It's still going strong after five decades, and it continues to attract very strong fields with high-quality drivers. There's no one-size-fits-all category for everyone, but I'd suggest that Formula Ford is unlikely to be a bad choice for anyone at making the transition from cars to car racing. I'm Lockie Mansell. Thanks for listening.